All right, and we're live. Aloha. Welcome to another episode of the Microbial Secret Society. Yeah, man. So, um, what, um, <laughs> so I guess what I'll start off going into a little bit of microbes and what's, uh, what's been fresh. What, what's been fresh and going on in the realm of the microbes? Yeah. I mean, because we're, we're just jumping into this. We really haven't rehearsed this, so we're kind of giving you just some raw content at this point and going in, going deep, yeah? Yeah, go, going deep and can definitely focus more on specific areas of research in, in the future, for sure. I'm really excited to, to go deep in some of those deeper topics, but... um. Is is there anything that specifically you want to talk about? What's going on in the microbes in in your realm and your life this week? Or uh, for me, you know, I mean, this this week, like I was talking to you before we started the podcast, I was really uh, tuned into Wine Sanctuary and really getting to know um, Michelle and Steve down there, and just talking about what great people they are. Yeah, Steve and Michelle at the Hawaiian Sanctuary. I mean, 52 weeks a year, they offer a free permaculture or regenerative agricultural class of some extent. And you're teaching a six-week series there now. And I've, I've had the opportunity and blessing to teach there, too, this past year. Um, and, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a big feat, you know, creating a community and growing a lot of food and creating an educational center for you know, not just yourself, but so many other people. So, yeah, it's really exciting to see what's what's in store. Yeah, and and this this um this year, I got about I, the first class had about eighty people, and uh, this this one today had about sixty. But um, so not not like less people. I don't think it's like a um like an indication that anything went bad or anything. I think people have other things going in their lives, but everyone that's there i think is really enthralled everyone that's there is really enthralled so i was yeah i was was thinking about it and i was thinking about what i do because people ask me like what do you what do you do and i was thinking man i'm I'm like an edutainer an edutainer like a educational entertainer entertainer yeah and that's that's kind of what i was realizing through this process of teaching down there is it not not only is it about getting the microbes and getting the knowledge, but it's about bringing it alive and presenting it in a way that's just like gripping. In a way that's presentable and it like uh, makes people want to learn more in their they Pe- wanna... peaks the enthusiasm. Yeah, pro- proper enthusiasm opens every door. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, M- Mandy's been taking your class and she's been super stoked and she was really excited about the homework from the last time of making fermented plant juice. And, um, I think we did it a little bit later, but they'll probably be ready like tomorrow or the next day, um, to ferment for enough time. But we fermented guava fruit that was just like growing right on the road as like an example of something that you can grow from the bushes and then did uh, a new one which was the ahupui ginger flower yeah so that one (laughs) i'm excited just to taste that one and then 
I think the other one was the rind of the pineapple fruit. So oh, instead of throwing yeah. that away, you know, yeah, um, yeah. fermenting it and, you know, it was just a small batch, but I, yeah, it's really, it's really exciting. And it's like, you can, you could potentially be fermenting something every day if you compost enough stuff, you know, if you, I mean, you got to balance like, you know, it takes the same amount of time and energy to, to maybe prepare for, I would say making five gallons is almost like almost as much as it does to make a half gallon or a gallon batch. It just depends on like what, what type of plant material you're working with. But, but I think it's just the idea that you could ferment anything every day if you really wanted to. And it, it makes me envision like a huge medicine cabinet with like fermented foods and pickles and kimchi and krauts and can you know beets and every i mean everything really like i i think the f fermented foods are really crucial and to be able to have that like preservation of it for for the futures yeah 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 and, uh, and you're talking about uh the homework so this is this was actually one of the first classes where i actually like assign people homework and uh -huh. because because it's a six-week series and i'm gonna see these people time after time for these six weeks it's like they may as well take advantage of my opportunity to kind of correct the things they do and have, you know, an opportunity to do it at home without me, mm -hmm. because then that's like a, a confidence building activity. And then they get to come in and check it. So this morning I, I was, you know, I started with a whole my and then I was like, all right, time to turn in your homework. And about 20, 20 people or so made a fermented plant juice wow 20 people made a can of food and then we spent about the first 45 minutes of class going through the different ferments and so for me it was a really great opportunity to teach because all of a sudden i had all these jars with all these different things happening everyone made their concoction and they, they all did it you know everyone's trying to follow the program but you know, it's it's hard to know. Did I add enough sugar? Did I not? And some some you could tell they were bubbling a lot. Like like some of these pineapple, this this one out of pineapple, just bubbling, bubbling, bubbling. And so in that case, that one you should have added a little more sugar. More sugar. Yeah, it would have it would have retarded the fermentation a bit. And and then there was one where someone made one out of albizia leaves. And they put, you know, just the, the same amount of sugar, kind of the standard, what I was saying, about half. And it was too much sugar for that one, where it just turned into like this syrupy thing that didn't actually pull any juice out. It was just like a like a sugar clod. And, I, and, I, and I've done that before with a few other materials, and you don't get much juice because it's like a, it's like a swamp. You know, it's not like a river. It's like, it's like a muddy swamp. And so too much sugar actually like was 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 the thing. And so 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 that was that was the lesson today was able to see the diversity in the materials, which is something that's somewhat hard to teach because I don't want to show up with like, you know, bananas and all these plant materials to teach and then to have enough time for it all to ferment and go through its process, you know, it's it's very challenging to do all in one day. So this yeah, you got to plan ahead for it. Yeah, so, so this homework activity, people <laughs> had a few days over the weekend to do it. 
and they came back and just the diversity was just is phenomenal what what other ones did you see like plant materials that were pretty interesting well one of one of the most tastiest ones today was um from the the strawberry guava mm -hmm. and they used the strawberry guava fruits and that was unreal good it, it was like oh i i could just dilute that in water all day and just drink it and just yeah um some people did mango uh -huh. um and then a lot of people did the papaya skins because that was one of the things i suggested during class i was like instead of taking your you know when you're cutting the papaya instead of throwing that stuff away why not ferment it and get all get all that nutrition out and it's papaya or it's it's pineapple season so everyone has pineapple so they just that, i think that was why a lot of people chose to do that yeah yeah turning uh a perceived waste product into a resource that you can then keep adding value to. It's just that that's like what natural farming to me is, is that you just, there's so many value added things. You can just like keep going and going and going. And this is something new see, that I've, like, I didn't even think of it. So I, I made a fermented mango fruit juice with my friend. And you know, when you make a, when you super saturate your solution, that if you add a little bit extra sugar, that you'll kind of have like a ring on, like a small, subtle ring on the bottom. Yeah, the the sugar will drop out of solution and form a ring. Yeah, yep. and that's that's just like extra food for the microbes to really preserve it. I mean, you probably could have added less sugar and done without the ring, but but well, and okay. So then, when you pour, when you're at the end of your solution, and then you have that ring that's still on the bottom. What my friend did is that he actually added water to it and then he cooked it on the stove and made like a reduction and then it was like a syrup and then he put the the fermented mango like syrup reduction on popcorn. Oh, that <laughs> sounds good. And that was really tasty. So, yeah. And it's just like that's a value added product. That's like some like and it's unique and diverse. Like someone could easily go to the market and grow like local or source local corn or organic corn and make popcorn and then put local fermentations on it to like sweet and sour and add a little bit of salt and that's something that is like a tasty snack that's that's sweet that is maybe more nutritious than a lot of other sweet options yeah 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 because you're getting the, the microorganisms they're alive you're getting all those intact hormones and then uh yeah it's it's almost like uh indigenous kettle corn <laughs> yeah, yeah indigenous kettle corn yeah so I, I would say the the one ferment that came out that that i was that was not wasn't you know it wasn't the best i, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings on this but it was from a uh like honohono grass or not not, not honohono grass but like a california grass type thing hmm. and i think the problem with that is that they maybe needed to add a little bit more salt uh -huh. but well, yeah a little bit more salt with those drier grasses I've I've never done it with um, cane grass, but I've looked at the cane grass, and sometimes they create these like newer shoots that are actually like really juicy on the inside. So I'd imagine that like those those inner cores could be fermented, and you get like a really potent juice, especially if it's growing really rapidly, like the cane grass does, like several feet in 
a month. Well, that's 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 what yeah. I well that that's what I that's what I recommended to somebody, and I was like, I was like, it was it, he was down on Papaya Farms Road, and he said I got you know I got an acre of, the, of like uh, cane grass and also like uh, um, so, some other type of grass like that, and I was like, D- do you have a mower? And he said yeah, and I said mow it down, and then when it regrows and it's like four to six inches and it's coming back from like that base core, harvest that stuff. Because if you're going to harvest the whole cane grass, it's all kind of big and tough and it's already growing. It's mm-hmm. You're not going to get as much. But those vital shoots right after you're cutting it and they're regrowing, it's like that's, you know, it's probably the easiest way. Go out there, mow it, and then just wait a, a week or so and then cut it. And you're going to get, it's, it'll be so easy to cut, especially with like a hedger or something. Just go right through there and just cut it all or a little sickle and just. Have you ever made a fermented plant juice that was. You know that was done properly, but didn't really taste sweet, or tasted sweet, but maybe there was like a bitterness to it, or like a really potent taste from whatever plant material you were utilizing. Uh someone made one from mango leaves today, and it was it reminded me of something, but I can't think of what it was. But it was like it was wild. Like, like it was not, it was not palatable even though, in, but, but it also, it also wasn't super saturated yet. Mm-hmm. So it didn't have that additional sugar added at the end to like preserve it. So it didn't have that extra sweetness, but the taste, it was like, it was a, it was like a stringent, like, like when you make it, when you make, um, like when you ferment, uh, unripe bananas, it comes out very astringent. Yeah, when you do with the unripe bananas, you get like that little like kind of that. It's like an aftertaste almost, where there's like it's like that chalky. Like yeah, there's a little bit of a chalkiness to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've done it with the puo kinikini flowers, and it just tasted like not like like I've heard those flowers are poisonous, but the fermented plant flower juice of it was like. I mean, I can try again. Maybe I just need to add more sugar or something. But it, yeah, it's just, it's just like same chalkiness, but like really just like your body knows like, yeah, maybe I I don't need to be eating this. And then also with the Mexican sunflower too. But that one was sweet, but it was, it just had an overpowering, overpowering bitter taste to it, hmm. which I, hmm. I don't know, maybe not enough sugar or well, my thought and intuition on it was like, oh, like could try it as like more of like a pest deterrent. So like it it tastes sweet, but it, t- it has this bitter taste. Maybe it's nutritious for the plants, but maybe like bugs won't really like or like maybe not all the bugs will like it. I don't know. Well, you mentioned you mentioned that, and then do you remember last year at Ina Fest when we went and visited with Uncle Kai? Uncle Kai, yeah. And he, yeah, he so he's a Hawaiian medicine man, and which like Lao Lapaao, and he's he's one of the most revered healers, especially in the Kohala region. He's like you you talk to somebody, it's like oh go see Uncle Kai, he'll he'll help you out. And so he's he's like the guy, and he did like a couple hour, like two three hour lecture at this festival and we sat there and he went through all those different things where he would talk about the different chakras in your body. Mm-hmm. And then he would talk about how like, Oh, astringent is good for this one or bitter is good for this one. 
or sweet is good for this one. And in my mind, I, I wish I wish I had been able to connect that more to something physical in my brain that I could like recall that information mm-hmm. of what was the astringency good for, what was the bitter good for. Because I didn't I didn't like embody it. I, I, I took it in as knowledge and just like but I didn't connect it to something. And so when you mentioned that and you mentioned now the you know, like you made a ferment and it's bitter, or we made these ferments and they're astringent. What I'm thinking is they will affect the different chakras differently. Mm-hmm. The different, and then yeah, and then the the one. There's a farm where that sun Mexican sunflower ferment was sprayed on a bunch of taro that hadn't really been sprayed with IMOs or anything really. Um, but he did start to see like effects pretty quickly with it being um helping with the bugs huh oh okay okay so so it actually did have an insect thing yeah i mean that's just one observation one time i mean that's not enough to like factually be like this is yeah 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 i mean it could could be a bunch of other things yeah there could be other factors for sure do you remember when uncle kai was talking he said if there's a flavor and you like it it's it's what you need or there's a flavor and you don't like it it's what you need it's a flavor and you don't like it so it's like if the poi is like super sour and you don't like the sour poi it's like because you need more sour or if it's like or the vice versa someone who really likes it sour was like oh this is too sweet and it's like oh you need more sweetness so it's it's actually the things that like maybe your your initial reaction is like a cringe <laughs> in your body but yeah you know you actually kind of needed and he said that the same poi could taste sweet for one person and sour for for a different person the same batch so it, it's like a by a person by person basis and yeah and that's kind of the body indicator for you if you're being turned on by this and someone is taking the same thing but not having that thing turn on for them that means that that's something that you need right that's what he was kind of going off like mm-hmm. yeah yeah I wonder if he'd be willing to join the Microbial Secret Society podcast. Well, Uncle Uncle Kai is now living in Bozeman, Montana. What? Which is where I went to I went to college. He moved to Montana? Yeah, Bozeman. Bozeman, which is which is like a uh, um like a if it's not a sister city, it should be a sister city to Hilo because it, it's it's like a it's like a portal. So in 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 Bozeman, it's right next to Yellowstone which is also a geological hotspot volcano, which means that it's on a, an energetic grid point. And so also here in Hilo, Hawaii, we're about the same distance away from Kilauea Volcano. And so we're just a little ways away from this, um, this other geological thing. So I find that there's like an um, like energetic mirror between um, Bozeman and Hawaii. So that, I think that's why Uncle Kai is there. Like I, he probably has other reasons, but ultimately in my like my heart of hearts, I I think that there's like this connection, and then like there's a yeah a connection between he, Bozeman, Montana, and Hilo, Hawaii, just energetically. Yeah, and and just just to follow this tangent just a small bit further, also just across the border in Idaho, there's a county called Owyhee County. And Oahe is the original, like, um, sounded out way that people used to call Hawaii. 
So when, today we say Hawaii, 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 all these way, other ways. Initially, when the first people came here, it was Oahi. Oahi? Oahi. And, Oahi. And there's Oahi County, and it's a big area, and it's right in Idaho. And in that area, when you go there, there's there's Paniolo, like, like Hawaiian cowboys there, Paniolos. And there's also Pohoihoi lava that has spread over this area. And so that area, like... So just just to follow this rabbit hole and wormhole a little bit of this like synchronicity between that region and Hawaii, these energetic portals. I don't know. I think I think it's a yeah. Can we go a little deeper in into the the rocks and the microbes? So in Hawaii, there's there's a few different types of lava. Is mm. it you mentioned pohoihoi, which is is that like the harder one, or is that the the softer, like more lumpy of rocks. Well, the the hard, I don't I don't know about the hardness, but it, it's more the texture. The texture. Pohoihoi is smooth and shiny like glass. Uh huh. And then the other major one would be aa, uh-uh, the, the other type, and that one's more like boulders, like sharp rocks, boulders. Uh uh-uh. Which one is the blue rock? Well, the the blue the blue rock is probably going to be in a pohoihoi flow. Because blue rock is like solid, really dense, yeah. heavy rock. So, so that that's the type of rock that I'm going to be observing and farming on in, in the upcoming time. Well, blue rock is notoriously rich in minerals. It's good in minerals. It's just that I guess I've never really farmed on just like hard sheets. It's always kind of been where there's just like so many rocks, but they're just like in levels or flows. Yeah, well, I know, I know people. They always they always talk about ripping your land and doing these things, and and but in in my mind, the more because I, I grew up in on those rocks. I grew I grew up in Hawaiian Acres on those rocks where where you're where you're talking about. Yeah, where you'll be. Yeah, so. Looking at it now with my with understanding the microorganisms and thinking about that, um, I I wouldn't rip my lot. So a lot of people think they got to rip it to get the drainage and all these things, and they you know and they in there I, I saw a thing on the internet, uh, you know, uh, should I rip my lot? And someone's like, yeah, well, where else are your tree roots gonna go? You know, like they think they think roots can't go through the, rocks, right? They go right through the rocks. They go right through the rocks. And go into any cave and look up. And 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 what <laughs> what can happen to like when you if you don't rip your lot, you just have this flat surface, like a like an kind of uneven but somewhat flat surface. If you do rip it, now you got this top layer where water's gonna go in, but then where's the water gonna go? It's just gonna like go. You know, you think, oh, there's drainage because you can't see it on the surface anymore. It doesn't mean that it drained out from below that. So if you can rip down two, three feet, you rip this. Now the water is going down two, three feet, puddling. Your tree roots are down there. Now they're sitting in puddles of water at that level. And now they're rotting down there. Versus if you didn't rip it and the plant roots figure out the way, like you just pile up mulch on the top. And then the plant roots figure out how to get into there and then they penetrate down. They're not going to create this same like pooling, rotting type situation. So we're, get, we're getting some good rain here. I don't know how this is going to affect the audio, but... Uh, yeah, some, some heavy rain. We'll, <laughs> we'll make it work. Um, 
so you actually wouldn't rip it, like rip the like doze the forest. Would you just like go in by hand and and remove? I don't think you got to talk that loud. I think it's I think it's gonna work out. Okay, and because we're, yeah. we're we're close to the mites, I think it's gonna it's gonna work. Okay, so would you remove like? the invasive species and then slowly interplant within the forest or how would you go about that process well yeah yeah so so what i, I mean if if like if you were to start with a raw raw piece of land in like hawaiian acres type thing i you know you'd probably bulldoze a driveway bulldoze a house pad but beyond that in terms of your cultivation um you're one one of the machines to bring in as opposed to a bulldozer is actually like a, it's a tree grinder where basically they just a spinning wheel just grinds it. it's like a chipper on the front of a bulldozer and they just drive it through the forest and it just chips everything so as opposed to trying to like push things around or like disturb the soil you just grind it all the organic matter up in an area and then immediately start sowing a cover crop Mm-hmm. you know some pigeon peas some sort of thing that's going to get in there and grow um and then and then from there you're you're now got all that organic matter on the rock and it'll start to to build soil so you, so you would say for any like new planting that's not in the area that's been cleared you would like grind it in, into the forest and then probably like soak that area and add more biomass and mulch and then sow a cover crop and then the following cycle plant plant into some like plant something into there once there's like an established network growing and there's wind protection and companion crops and stuff yeah and and running running the machine to like to to chip your whole area and stuff that's going to be super expensive most i mean most people you know you may not be able to afford that so just just kind of hand clearing, like you know, the chainsaw clearing, clearing out a few areas. Um, my my sickle bar hedger goes through the jungle like nothing. Like get a get a weed whacker, but instead of a weed whacker tip where you have the the string on it, a string tr- trimmer, change it to be a hedger attachment, and you can just chop and drop the forest and go through it and. What I would say is look for areas where there's already soil accumulating, and that's where to plant your trees. Where there's soil already accumulating, that's where you'd plant your trees. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and there's a plant called uh, well, I, I, I'm not even I'm not even gonna butcher the name right now, but but there's certain plants that build a lot of soil, so you look for those already growing. Go cut them down and plant a plant right where they were growing. So yeah, look for the plants that are growing a lot of soil, and then, so, so then yeah, it makes me think. So, so if there was an area that was dosed, that means that like, I, um, that that that's happening, right? Where the area was dosed, and then this water is kind of accumulating on the on the surface, and it's not really draining, and then the the trees are growing. In, those roots are into those puddles. And then they're they're susceptible to kind of like rot and stuff. So is there a way? But but, but the, the 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 when you when you're saying it's on the surface, I was saying the puddles are subterranean because I've ripped the land, meaning I've busted this sheet up. But I've mm. only busted up about the top two feet, three feet, and then the puddle is down three feet. 
If the puddle was on the surface, it wouldn't be a problem because it would kind of be in contact with air and evaporate. But because it's down below, then that's... Okay. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm just going to be like experiencing and observing nature in a situation that's really similar to this where like one acre has basically been cleared for driveways and, and spaces and areas and then there's an existing orchard that's planted in a cleared area that it, it was kind of like probably leveled and then you know there's soil and rocks and stuff added to it the trees do look pretty healthy. They weren't planted in holes. They were planted on like mounds, which I was like, um, but but there are spots where the water does pull, pull it, like it holds, obviously on the surface. Um, is there, yeah, because I'm sure there's other people that are in that situation or something similar. And it's like, is there a way to like, work in harmony and be able to correct that mistake i guess i guess it's not a mistake but just like correct like so just in case that there's not water that's three feet below that's pulling and collecting and like is there a way to transform land that was ripped and does that can then hold water properly and it's not this like an indefinite thing where where once you doze the land it's like Oh, there's no turning back there's nothing that you can do to regenerate it or help it no 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 by by, by no means are you like sol just because someone does the land or anything and in fact that's that's what is the best thing about the microbes and the secret society is they're like infinitely forgiving Infinite i mean forgiveness within reason like you give them some food and they're like oh it's like an apology that they'll accept and that they'll and and so what i what I would say is anytime you got stuff pooling, that's your time for lactobacillus. And the lactomicrobe in that family of microbes is, that's, that's why I call them the police and or the emergency workers. Because think of that, your, your plant roots are down in this cave and the cave now filled with water and now they're drowning and they're trapped. Just like, you know, the... the and, and that so what do you do well you call in the emergency workers they go in there and they're like oh the, well the plant roots can't get oxygen so they figure out some way to like get oxygen to them and, and I, I don't know how all the mechanisms work but that's like a general like just anamorphosized way of explaining what's happening so yeah allowing the LAB to come to the rescue and help bring oxygen to the plant's roots that are submerged in water. But then that makes me think about, you know, there's probably plants that would really enjoy that environment, just being drenched in water. Like, I don't know how sugar, like, I know sugarcane starts, and when you're, when you're growing them um, to propagate, they love to be wet. Um, I don't know if, if sugarcane would just love to be in water all the time, but, or like, a lot, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. But but what, what I'm talking about specifically is more trees because you're you, like something like a sugar, sugar cane is going to be much more shallow rooted anyway. So for, for a sugar cane, just a bunch of mulch on the top and planting into that and those surface roots will find their way. And so, so it's not they're, they're you know, a sugar cane root going down three feet in some place. It's I mean, I'm sure it, I'm sure roots do that, but 
predominantly those roots want to be up on the surface. You know, sugarcane doesn't have a tap root like a tree does. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not trying to go down to like anchor itself. It's more just holding on to like to the surface. So that's. Yeah. Yeah. But what, so a little bit more about rocks. You, you did a IMO pile. It's an indigenous microorganism propagation where you actually put some rocks into the pile. Yeah. Do you want Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, did a indigenous microorganism pile. Um, it was actually a, like a soil integration. I did IMO three or fungal propagation, and then when I integrated the biology from the land um instead of doing equal weight of soil i did like 25 percent soil and then like 25 percent new rocks from the most recent flow on the big island in may of 2018 uh, near uh, poiki so those rocks and a lot of them they weren't really big rocks you know no bigger than a hand um, but they were sharp and jaggedy and rough. And after they got fermented in the pile for about 11 days, the rocks started to crumble and disintegrate into soil, like right in your hands. And you could, can see the mycelium on the rocks and they got, felt lighter in weight and much smoother. Um, and then it's just like, yeah, like is there a way we could skip biochar if we have rocks? Or is there, like... Mm, no. <laughs> it's not sufficient enough. <laughs> no, I mean, bio, biochar is carbon. Okay. Carb, carbon is, you know, it's... it's it's or That's, like, what defines organic, <laughs> you know? Like... <laughs> so, no, you can't... You can't uh, but but the rock the rocks have minerals, and, and I mean I think does biochar have minerals? I, I I don't I don't know. I mean I I think most of that's pyrolyzed out. I think you're pretty much with the the idea with biochar is you're leaving the carbon structure behind, and you're kind of pyrolyzing, which means kind of like burning. But it's but it's a it's a it sublimates, which means it like goes from a gas through combustion like in 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 all these volatile things that are in there come out like they they sublimate and they they pyrolyze and then you're left with just the crystalline matrix left and then that is what then you like reload like when you activate or functionalize your biochar meaning that you take those microbes and get them to grow in there and then they they go in there but it's but it's different like like the the biochar is a carbon structure that get, like and it also helps as a water reservoir and it has some also unique electrical properties and i don't think the rocks have those <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so there's other properties of biochar that maybe the rocks don't have yeah 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 such as like um water retention and carbon and some other things that you mentioned yeah yeah one of of the things the rock 
has and that I believe that when you're like like this is this is my understanding of the rocks and all this is like our lava rock comes out and majority of what's binding it together is the element of silica which is like essentially what we eat with glass and I know what happens to rock when it rains is the the rain comes down with oxygen in it and when it hits the ground with that impact the oxygen pulls the silica out and it creates silica oxide it loves doing like that's a really stable compound so it loves doing that so it takes the silica out of the rock and so then then you're left you know then then the the silica is what's holding the nutrients in. So if you can pull the silica out, now your nutrients are free. And I know the rain does that. But what I'm thinking is the microbes also have some way where they start to break this silica down. And I think oh, that's... Yeah. I mean, what comes to mind for me, sorry to interrupt, is, oh, yeah, yeah. is like water dripping from a cave. Like stalactite kind of stuff? Stalagmites? Stalactites? Just if you go into a cave and it's really moist and there's water dripping above, and even if it's not raining, I feel like that water is going through the rocks and it's transforming and then it's like dripping and dripping and dripping. And that would be the same, in my mind, the same as water hitting the rocks. It's just water dripping and going through the rocks and it's this continual process. So I feel like there's, I don't know if there, it's like a whole fermentation process, like within the microbial realm of the water as how long it takes for it to go through the rock. Um, so I'm going to experiment by starting to like collect that water and then applying that to the plants and seeing, but I feel like it's, it's definitely structured. Oh yeah. 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 Well, cause it, cause it's like, it's, it's bioactive. Yeah. It's a, well, to 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 jump to another subject. You ready? I was I was re reading on the internet. I went down some wormhole the other day. I was actually looking up the Guar oil field in Saudi Arabia because uh, I was I was trying to figure out how much time we have left before peak oil and all this stuff. And it looks like it'll be about five years or so. Five years until we hit peak oil? No, no, until until like, there, I, I, I I don't know. But anyway, because I always thought, it, I thought it was going to run out in like 2012 and stuff, but it's still coming. And so, but anyway, I ended up in this rabbit hole and that's, that's the main point of this, the, the peak oil aside. What I ended up learning was that they have this problem that they call black powder. And what it is, is it's microbes that start to live in their pipeline and every time you change temperature or pressure the the mic what happens is the moisture content changes in the oil solution and when there's available moisture in there then the microbes start to grow more and there's tons of these microbes and they start to they start to um, eat volatile fatty acids which are in oil somehow and then they eat them and they start creating this black powder, which then like clogs all these machines. Because it's basically like they're creating little like iron sulfide daggers. I feel like that's what's happening right now to, to my sprayer. Not not in like the same extent of this like gnarly stuff, but I definitely feel like when you're working with like living solutions and compost tea, like the sprayer systems typically like a lot of them are like diaphragm pumps 
and that's not necessarily the most ideal for water to be flowing through if there's heavy or lots of particulates or micro microbes and, and things like that. So um, what I've heard is that a cell in research is that a cylindrical pump would be better. But that's that's it's just like, yeah, because it's like if you it's like every time you, you apply water through the sprayer, it's a different like microclimate for the microbes and then. If there's any moisture within the hose or anything, things can live with the water. Um, yeah. I, d I do have an air compressor that sometimes will flush the air through the hose and like really dry, like dry it out. But yeah, if I if I could if I yeah yeah I I need an air compressor and I should blow out my line every time. I kind of hold it up and try to drain as much as I can out, but it's it's. I'm just leaving a lot of water in there. Yeah, yeah. And if I could blow it out with the air compressor, I could minimize the amount of biofilms growing. But I, th I think in the oil case, it's a it's it's a little bit different than the films. They're more like corroding and pitting things, versus and I, and I don't know your experience, but in my sprayer, what I assume is happening is the biofilms are accumulating, and then. When those biofilms accumulate, then as I spray my new batch, they'll break off yeah. and contaminate my new batch. But then also they're kind of clogging the thing. And then I think as they sit in the pump and as they sit in there, even though I try to get them out, it's just not, you know, they're just, it's, they're living and pooping in there and just, you know, it, it, got to purge the secret society out when I'm yeah. done. Yeah. So... But, you know, so where was I going to go with the, the corrosion and the Saudi Arabia stuff? But I, 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 th I think, again, I, again, it was further confirmation for me that the microbes are, like, all up in the oil. And, and I started to go down the Wikipedia thread, kind of start at the Guar oil field and just kind of traveled around there, clicked on a few links and stuff. But I got into, like... Um, where they're doing water injection they'll take you know uh they call it produced water which means it's just contaminated as fuck water <laughs> and then they pump it back down into the ground but they have to put biocides into it and if they inject microbes too deep it can actually clog their um the pores of the of the of the source rock that they're trying to get the oil out of and it can create biofilms down there and it contaminates their oil. And so the, the biotic part of this life, I, I just, I feel like it's, it's just so there. And now I look and it's everywhere. It's like, oh, there's microbes here. But I feel like before in, in my previous, like earlier part of my life and or other people around, I think they don't think of the planet as living as like there's there's mic there's living microbes in your oil there's living microbes down 20,000 feet in the earth in these oil fields and they're they're you know and if we contaminate it by injecting these these the wrong microbes down we can actually like severely mess up the earth and severely mess up these like you know cycling things and and to know whether what 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 the real function of oil is for our planet. Yeah, the fun the function of oil for for our planet. I mean, when you think of when you say oil, it makes me think of 
Paul Stamets work with the oyster mushrooms and how they did an experiment where we're able to grow oyster mushrooms on like oil waste and spillage and then it actually like remediated the soil and they they tested it and the soil didn't have any trace of any chemicals or oil and and then when they tested the mushrooms themselves they didn't either yeah yeah what, so it's like what if like it's like there's these fungus and these microbes that are wanting to like clean and they need just as much like I don't know. It's it's like the it's like the microbes have the answer and the solution to all these like perceived toxic or gnarly things. It's like maybe that's definitely not the way to go about it, but it's like the microbe there there's lots of microbes or mushrooms in particular that like oil. Like that's their they like to grow in it and like feed off of it. What's well, like I mean it's it's hydrocarbon so it's just a longer sugar. You know, once you can, if you have the right enzymes to cleave the hydrocarbon apart and, and do your own cracking and, and fracturing, then then you can, um, you could make sugars out of it and they can actually turn into carbohydrates from oil into carbohydrates and, and into, uh, you know, usable sugars, which, which are, you know, available for metabolic function. So, so that's what they're doing is they're turning the, the oils into available sugars that they're able to eat and then yeah well so so on the on the oil there's 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 what i know about i i heard this thing the other day because i because i always thought what you know what is oil and then i heard that basically a couple million years ago like like 300 million years ago or when these oil fields were forming the microbe that could break down oil didn't hadn't evolved yet wasn't wasn't available like wasn't there and so all these, all this organic matter, like, like, or actually, I think maybe it was, it was the one that couldn't eat wood or something. It was something like this, like microbes couldn't eat wood. Like there was lignin in there and they couldn't digest wood. So all these woody plants grew for a while and they're like, oh yeah, we were like winning. And then the microbes, and so, the, but then all that material, instead of like being decomposed, it actually just sunk and turned into like like a bunch of trees as sediment de developed on top and nothing ate it, then got compressed and, and that carbon turned into the oil. But now I, we don't find oil anymore on the surface because those microbes now have evolved and anytime that, that stuff comes up, they eat it. And so, so we'll never on this planet produce oil again because of the biology that's living here now. And then when the oil was formed, the microbial society was in a different configuration. They didn't have that member of their secret society that could eat trees, but now we do. So we'll never go back to like oil being sequestered under our planet again. So so at one point the like the oil came from the surface? Well no, what what happened was a bunch of trees were growing on the surface. And then if there's nothing to break down trees, like trees today they just they just fall in the forest and they break down, right? Back then it was like a when the tree died, nothing could eat it. So it's like so you got a tree and then it falls over and then in, and then another tree starts growing on top of that and you just get piles and piles of trees because nothing's breaking down. Sounds like rig rigor mortis for the trees, I guess. Is is during that time period when 
Well, yeah, yeah, like rigor mortis and or just like, it's just like stacks of corpses. Like imagine bodies didn't, didn't like imagine people didn't rot. And then like we just keep making people. It's like eventually you just have mountains of people. <laughs> and that's what happened with trees. There was just like tons and tons of trees. And then, you know, it just piled up, piled up, piled up. And then, you know, got buried or whatever happened, you know. And, and that's why we have the oil layers at that oh, certain and then you're saying that then there was layer. Then the microbe evolved that was able to break down the trees and then that was no longer like an issue. So the same thing was... So you're saying at one point on the earth there wasn't a microbe that could break down the oil or there wasn't like a... They couldn't break down the trees. Then the trees got buried and then they turned into oil as they were buried. The, the trees turned into oil? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, just uh, kind of like like their coal theory of heat and pressure to change carbon structure over time. You know, it, it, I think that's a I think that's a legit thing, and that's I and, and that 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 whole plausible thing to me makes sense. Yeah, they say that like a diamond requires like pressure and heat in order to cut it, well, or to form, or to form, it needs pressure and heat. Yeah. So. I don't know. There's always like a parallel between like, like if, uh, like it takes pressure and action and, and heat to like make things a reality in, in this existence. And like, if, if the diamond wasn't able to go under, if the rock wasn't able to go under those circumstances, it would have never turned into the diamond. So, yeah. For anyone out there that, me feel like giving up or you know feeling a lack of uh inspiration um know that there's infinite possibilities and to follow your inner joy and your your excitement and and uh and yeah persistence is is crucial like persistence and consistent action yeah yeah like a diamond (laughs) like a diamond yeah so one last thing I was just thinking about oil and, and you is, do you remember the, I, I think that, was that the class you were there at Hawaiian Sanctuary where we, where we made a micro pile in the motor pool? No. Maybe this was the class that I taught before you were there. <laughs> so this, this may be on the, the one previous, but we made an IMO pile. You know, you know where Steve parks all the, you know, he has his Vortex Brewer and he kind of parks all his four-wheelers yeah. and stuff? So we did an IMO pile there because it's nice and covered. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of on top of gravel. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've actually made an IMO pile, two IMO piles. Well, one, one, I've made one IMO pile there. And the issue with that one was that it got washed away. Oh, water came underneath. And I initially had it set up kind of like around the corner where more of like the tools and stuff. Not the ideal place to put a pile for like walking around, but in terms of like keeping it dry and protected from the rain and the pitch and the the levelness of the earth, um, it was there and then it it got moved. And um, so, but yeah, I, I think the environment is super crucial. Like being able to have a solid structure some maybe temporary structure or permanent to be able to create indigenous microorganism piles because if it gets wet it's like all that energy is is totally worth worthless 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess it's not worthless. It's like it's a learning experience, but if you can save that time and energy and and create create an uh, a solid, yeah, solid. Well, you see, yeah. If there's too much moisture, your secret society drowns while you're not there. But but what what I was gonna say, in that gravel to to make an IMO pile, what we did is we put down some big pieces of cardboard. Uh huh. Because we didn't want it, we didn't want to stir it in with the gravel, and we just wanted it to be up, and then we wanted to be in contact with something somewhat natural. So, just and by no means is it best practice, but it was just like what we made the best with what we had. Mm-hmm. So we did the IMO pile. It was great. It took took about a week. Um, my my friend Dana came by, stirred it, um, and it was it was awesome. Then when we were done with it, we didn't want to go to we didn't want to go to activated IMO. We didn't want to add the soil in to activate it for that region. We just wanted the propagated IMO, the IMO three. So we transferred it into boxes, like um, you know, just just cardboard boxes, you know, about a foot by a foot, and put it in a bunch of those boxes, maybe like you know, ten boxes or something. We came back the next week for class, and I look at it and all the like some of the boxes there's just oil on them like black oil you know like when you change your motor oil and it's all black and gross there's just oil on the outside of these boxes i'm like like what the hell steve like what why did you spill all this oil on our boxes you know because he has all kinds of wild stuff going on there and you know it's it's a a cowboy wild show there and i was like what the hell steve and he's like no 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 we didn't touch this we kept it here and, and, and and he was genuinely true so we opened the box and I find a, a, a ton of mushrooms in there. And the mushrooms where the mushroom had sprouted out of the top of the IMO and the mushroom had contacted the side of the box, it, all the oil had somehow accumulated into this mushroom and where it touched, it wicked from the mushroom into the box. And it transferred it, you know, like like as if you took the mushroom and you squeezed it out, like wring it out and a bunch of oil would come out of it. But I don't think it was like that. I don't think you could have squeezed the oil out. But the oil had definitely somehow, by putting this micro pile on the gravel, on cardboard, like, you know, pile, cardboard, gravel, it had somehow soaked up oil, which wasn't even visible. You just looked at it and it looked like just, you know, regular dirt or regular gravel. And I'm, I'm sure stuff had spilled there and it oh, soaked it up so through this. into the pile. The pile did its thing, cooled off after one week, and then we put it in boxes. Once it was in the darkness, then the mushrooms sprouted. So mushrooms actually sprouted. Like imagine you had a in imagine you cardboard. had a, an IMO three pile and all of a sudden mushrooms just start popping out of it like crazy. I could just put some IMO three in a cardboard box and put it under the bed and see if anything happened. Yeah. So, so, so that's what happened. And these microbes somehow, it, like the oil wasn't wasn't even visible to us, but it totally bio we bioremediated oh, that but the, area but the, but the on oil, accident. But the oil was there because of like the machines and stuff. That yeah, just were the, in the area. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly where he parks his like six wheeler. It's like right under there, so you you know fluids are leaking. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah, so we accidentally bioremediated his motor pool. Because you were talking about Paul Stamets and this thing where they did it. Yeah. And so we did the actual exact same thing, but on accident. Where our microbes, where, where you couldn't see them as mushrooms, they actually, as mycelia, permeated into the ground, pulled the oil up into the into the, the body somehow, 
you know, into the, into the, the, the media that we we're growing it in and then later fruited. And when they fruited, that oil came out in them. Were you able to identify the mushrooms? I don't know. I have a picture of it. So we could go look back at it. it t- to me, it looked like it looked, ah, oh, I don't know. It's it, Yeah. It's like, it kind of looks like mushrooms that grow in like eucalyptus forest kind of stuff. So I, I don't know. It's, it's not very descriptive at all. Yeah, but you, know. yeah, but you accidentally bioremediated the soil. That's, that's a pretty interesting story. I've never heard heard that one. Yeah. Before. Yeah. It's a good experience. I've never, yeah. I thought you were there. Really? It's been the early years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree about, or I can see why you'd want to maybe not create your fungal propagation on the gravel or the rocks, but. Maybe we've got about. Um, but I don't know. I It's like when the last time of 3 pi I did the rocks came up from above and I mean, I could have done it on like on cardboard or something, but I, I feel like the rocks or whatever's grown, like whatever's below plays like a, a vital role in it. And like, if you, if you didn't have the cardboard in that instance, like if you would have done that pile on the rocks, would you, and then would you have had the same result with the mushrooms that were able to, did you do it or, or was that cardboard like a protection layer of the oils and stuff while the microbes are kind of forming because they would have probably eaten that if it was well well what's what's clear to me is the cardboard was not a barrier for the mycelia to pass through and go down below but so so the cardboard wasn't inhibiting the the connection of going the earth, yeah like, to the earth so it wasn't like a negative thing yeah, but the wow. but the but the reason it was done on the cardboard is that if you're on gravel and then you're trying to turn that pile, you're gonna turn a lot of that gravel into your pile, because there's no way you can scrape the bottom and get all the material and turn it without getting and scraping a little bit of your gravel. Would the wouldn't the microbes just eat the gravel though? Well, they would. I just I just didn't want to ruin Steve's motor pool. Like after we're done building this IMO pile, then he goes to park his four wheeler and like there's, there's, you know, all the gravel's all soft right there. Or it's like, you know, like he wanted that surface to be like a a working surface, not not like a biologically decomposing thing that he comes back to, you know, (laughs) goes to park his four wheeler and it like sinks into the ground because, you know, it's like probably really soft. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so so that that was more of the concern. It was like I didn't I didn't want to ruin his area, you know. It's like, yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it just goes back to intentional spaces to create indigenous microorganism piles. Yeah, and so why don't why don't we go a little bit into that in of creating intentional space to make indigenous microbes as we're about to get into our second hour here. And so this is this is some good stuff. We're getting a little bit to the origins of CANF here. Where where did it come from? Where does it go? How did we get into the secret society? And so let's talk a little bit about these intentional spaces. And what I'd like to what I'd like to talk about is my good friend Ginger John. So the guy that got me into natural farming. 
Thank you for tuning in to the first free hour of the Microbial Secret Society podcast. Hour two is for members only. You can become a member at www.microbialsecret.org. Thank you and may all the beneficial microbes be with you.